Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Rad Times on Roscoe episode is sponsored by JK Pools, owners Jeff and Carrie Kelly, for all of your pool maintenance and repair needs. 818-497-8794. Serving the San Fernando Valley beyond. JK Pools. As I talked about in that first initial podcast, uh, growing up in the East San Fernando Valley, I always was curious of what I was going to do. And when I was in sixth grade, I remember uh, being in this graduation ceremony and, and we had career choices and I wanted to be a mechanic when I was in sixth grade. So I borrowed my dad's best friend, Ray Dilger's uh, work shirt from Ray Chevron and uh, pretended I was a mechanic that day on stage. So that was one of the areas I wanted to go into. So being fortunate as a young man, uh, my dad's best friend, Ray Dilger, on the station, always told me when I was a little kid, hey, someday you can work here when you get old enough. So when I got to be about 14, he said, all right, you know, this summer, the summer of my ninth grade year, uh, you can start working here. I said, all right. So I'll never forget, he gave me a pair of boots where I found out later that came off my first check. (laughs) (laughs) So that came out. So that was one of the areas that I thought I was going to go into. Now, I got into this field and worked there for a couple summers and realized, hey, I'm learning some great skills, but this is not what I'm going to do long term. And uh, and I knew that. But it was a it was a great experience working with adults as a young kid teaches you a lot. And uh, and there were some when I say characters, um, that's an understatement. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here today. So uh, th- that's my uh, push for having uh, my guest in today. Uh, my guest is Brian Kelly. Brian and I uh, grew up together. His younger brother was my same age. Brian was uh, about three years ahead of us in school. And uh, and uh, and I got to know Brian through Jeff. And then when I went to Ray Station in 1983, about somewhere in there to start working, uh, Brian was a uh, full time employee there. And uh, and we hit it off right away uh, working together. A lot of great stories with a lot of characters. And uh, so like all my guests, I want to just get some background on their life in the San Fernando Valley where they grew up and. We got some stories and some people to talk about. So with that, I'm going to introduce here today, uh, Mr. Brian Kelly. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. It's great having you. Now, uh, when I talk about Brian and, and he's like, today's like, I don't know why you're having me here. I got, you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, this guy is super multi-talented and uh, the different stages we're going to talk about through his life where we work together either at the gas station or at Saga Speedway where I helped him out. As a former track champion, Mr. Brian Kelly, we'll talk about some of those days and uh, just some great stories there and in between um, we'll talk about today. So tell me, uh, I know that you guys lived in Lakeview Terrace area when you were a kid. Yeah. You want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I was actually born at Pacoima Lutheran, uh-huh. a hospital that's no, no longer there. And I uh, grew up in Lakeview Terrace probably till I think I was about 11 years old. And then we moved, made a huge move of about nine miles <laughs> to Mich- uh, actually Arlita, oh, okay. where the Corrente house was. Oh, so you went from Lake Terrace to the Corrente house? Yeah, went okay. there. And then I lived there until um, I think I was about 24, 25 mm-hmm. to move my present house. We had another huge move, about two miles <laughs> to Mission Hills, which is the 
suburbs of the San Fernando Valley, I guess you would call it. Yeah, so, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And uh, big <laughs> life change moves there. You know, one side of Sepulveda Boulevard to, <laughs> to the, the other. other. Yeah, 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 yeah. The west of the boulevard. <laughs> um, the uh, and and Brian was uh, gracious enough to come by when we interviewed Morgan Walsh at uh, Cupid's, and we got to connect there, and it was great because. It was a total surprise. Brian just showed up. He'd been following us on Instagram and on Facebook, and then uh, he was there that day to be part of the audience, and so we made this date for him to come in and talk to us. Well, well let me interrupt one thing on that. Mm-hmm. The main reason I went, Lee, is because, you know, I know we're going to get into st- earlier, you know, stuff earlier in this and that was that you, your brother, your mom and dad were like family to me too, and you guys always followed me, whether it was – I remember playing football at Pauly and yeah. hearing you and your brother cheer when I was on the field – and then I remember racing, not only you guys helping me on the car, but being in the stands. So you were always there. And I knew how much passion you had in this podcast. And, you know, I was available to come by. And that's why I came, because I do appreciate the people that were there for me. And well, I've thanks. always considered you a good friend. Yeah. and that's... Do, do I get paid for that last comment? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, checks good, in the mail. Good. All right, Andrew and I will we'll split. <laughs> we'll split what we're getting for this. <laughs> now, uh, and Andrew, our producer, is here as always. And yeah, we've been we've been really fortunate, Brian, because you know we grew up in the area where friends were family, and uh, and and that's just the way it was. Yeah. And uh, and we were really lucky. You know, your brother and I did a lot growing up together, and we're really close. But you know, you and I had a really good relationship too, where. You know, I was always uh, happy to help and to be there and support you. And my folks just adored you. And one of the greatest stories, you know, we're, here we are, greasy um, <laughs> teenagers. You're probably just 21 working in that garage on Correnti on your race car. And, you know, there'd be cussing and drinking beer and whatever else was going on. And then my folks would walk up or my dad would walk up and everybody from yourself to Bubba was like, hello, sir. Hi, Mr. Jackson. And my dad was like, oh, just call me Paul. You know, and it was like, no, we couldn't. And, yeah. and I, I still can't. I still call your mom, Mama Kelly. Yep. And uh, and that's and it's just the way it was. And there was this respect for our elders and our, for our folks and uh, and for each other. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of that came from and we'll talk about Mr. Hall from yeah. Paulie, which was my auto shop teacher. When we were talking earlier almost a dad figure to me, you know, here's a guy that, you know, an auto shop teacher, which at that time is considered like the lower end of teaching. Yes. And he would teach you, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And respect. So one minute he's teaching me that, and then he would get mad at me. And for two hours, I'd be sweeping the the floor with a glue brush, a quarter inch glue brush going, I hate this teacher. I hate this teacher. Yep. But he just taught you respect. And Ray Dilger from the gas station, like you, you had talked about earlier, was another one that installed Everybody he met was yes, sir, no, sir. It didn't matter if you were on the lowest rung of life all the way up to a prince. He just treated everybody that way, and it rubbed off on you. You had to kind of, it was infectious, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. All those guys, and we just, we looked at a picture just a few minutes ago of these guys that worked at the station, and, you know, it was always like that. And Yeah. uh, yeah, let's talk about Mr. Hall. So we both went to Poly. You were there a few years before me. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hall was my auto shop teacher. Um and I actually went back and taught at Polly, and Larry and I were colleagues, which was weird. And like, Larry, right. I right. called him Mr. Hall forever, and he'd hit me in the arm. It's Larry, right. and and I still it was so hard. I still it's Mr. Hall, right? But uh, and I saw the effect he still had on kids then, and he was you know up in years, really fed up with the district, but he was still this awesome, respected guy on campus. And so, tell me a little bit about him and his, how he shaped you. Well, I, I'm eternally grateful 
that I had the opportunity to meet Mr. Hall. I'm getting kind of choked up because awesome. he meant a lot to me, not only as a teacher, but a mentor, but as far as guidance in life, um, there's things that he taught me that I apply to my children mm -hmm. and I hope they apply to their children from him. Right. Um, couple great examples and I don't want to go too long, no, but um, probably one of the best stories where, you know, in, in auto shop, you had people there that wanted to be mechanics, maybe like me. Yeah. You know, I wanted to get into racing and I loved cars. And you had people that maybe couldn't find another class. So they were stuck in auto shop and he kind of knew the difference. And I remember it was around Christmas time and we were doing one of those um, Raggedy Ann and Andy doll drives you have in homeroom. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they do now because, you know, that's 150 years ago. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you have like toy, drive, yeah. like toy drives mm -hmm. or canned food drives. And it was for the Children's Hospital in L.A. So I remember like it was yesterday. Uh, they had collected it. He came down, he grabbed me and another guy. We were like the grease monkeys in the shop. Said, hey, next Tuesday, do you want to get out of class and go pass out the dolls? Well, I'm thinking, yeah, great. I get to get out of school for a day. Sure. This is perfect. I had to have my mom sign the paperwork and we get out. And long story short, we get to UCLA and we're all excited. And I remember we're outside the first room. We got these little dolls. And he goes, okay, the doctor comes up and he goes, okay, this is Cindy. We're outside the room. Mm -hmm. This is Cindy. She's nine years old. Her parents were, are drug addicts. They got in a bad mood and they lit her on fire. And I'm like, what? I thought we we're visiting kids with like a broken arm or something. Right, right. So we walked in, we passed out the doll. They were holding us. They didn't want us to leave. And then we go to the next room and it was just some of the most horrible situations and stories. And I don't want to bring the mood down here, no. but this is about Mr. Hall. And it was a whole day of that. And afterwards he took us to lunch on his own dime. We went to Laurie's over there by Dodger Stadium. Yeah. It was still there. <laughs> and uh, we sat down and ate, and it was a somber mood, you know. And I remember he sat down, and he said, you know, Brian, and I think my other friend Willie at the time was there, he goes, the reason why I picked you two guys is, you know, some of you guys have broken parents, aren't here, and tough lives, but I wanted to show you that even though you're in the San Fernando Valley, maybe you're not rich and this and that, there's other people that are a lot worse off. Yeah. And it was very humble that he did that, and it just showed us a whole different world and he didn't do it to punish us. He didn't do it, but he knew deep down we were good guys and he wanted to show it. And I was always thankful that I got that moment. As bad as it sounds, it yeah. was really a great moment because, man, it was awakening to see. You know, you, you think, gosh, we don't have nothing. You know, we don't have cars. We don't have nothing. Man, those kids in that hospital, they didn't have anything. So I felt like I was rich. Sure. What and, a lesson, you know. And, yeah. And that, yeah, and and a public school teacher reaching out like that. He was just a great guy. Well, I, and I also think that's the problem with it. A lot that, that public school teachers get a bad rap that they don't care. No. And, I, and, and I'm here to say if it wasn't for that public school teacher, I don't yeah. know if I'd be alive or in jail or which route I would have went, but he definitely helped me go the right way. And I'm, yeah. I'm definitely appreciative of Mr. Hall. Yeah. Love the guy. Yeah, I know. And, and Yeah, you're right. And a lot of awesome public school teachers and Andrew and I have both been them and, uh, you know, you work really hard, you know, and, and we talked earlier about sometimes you don't see the results, but this is the payback for Larry doing that, Mr. Mm -hmm. Hall back then. And I remember I'm sitting in my demotion derby car getting pushed out in the track and I look over and here he is sticking a, a telescopic lens in my face with yep. his camera and he was there taking pictures. Yep. And, you know, I hadn't gone and invited him but he found out and he knew and he was there yep. and he was in the pits that night taking pictures and i was like oh my gosh oh he was great. you know for the proms he was there setting up tables and the flowers and he would leave when the prom started he would help set up football and nobody knew right he was just a nonchalant but he definitely cared about the kids and yeah i'm glad i got to meet Heck my yeah. brother took his class and only lasted three weeks <laughs> I remember. and he quit he yeah. was he was a tough 
yes. tough guy. You know, one minute he would help you, and the mm-hmm. next minute, I remember a couple times, I, well, I, I guess I could say it, you can edit it out, but I remember there was a time I wanted to leave campus to go get a part for a car, and he's like, uh-huh. I can't do that, that's against the rules, I can't do that, and he dropped the keys to the gate. <laughs> he goes, remember on your way back, get me a burrito, I'm hungry. <laughs> so he couldn't give me the keys, but right. he accidentally dropped them, and I left, you know. And then the next day, right. I'm getting punished because I said something rude, so I'm out there sweeping the floor for an hour, right. you know, but that was him. Oh, and yeah. those lessons, it wasn't so much about fixing cars. It was more about, you know, life, how to be respected, be respective, right. and how to treat people. And that's what I remember the most. I did learn some stuff about cars, but I learned sure. more about that. And I appreciate that. No, a good lesson he taught your brother Jeff and I one day is we got a little too comfortable thinking we were buddies, right, mm-hmm. with him. And we said something inappropriate in class, and he just called us out. Mm-hmm. And we were out in the hallway scraping gum with putty knives yep. for an hour until the bell rang. Yep. And you know, and then the next day it was like nothing had happened. And but we learned that hey, there's a line here. I'm the teacher. You're the you're the pupil. Yep. And you know, you got to be respectful. And uh, it was <laughs> it was a great lesson. We yeah, we were fortunate that way. You know. Well, I, I think part of the art of being a teacher or a coach, which I, I relate to almost being the same thing, is how do you yell at a, a student or a player without yelling at them? Right. You know, how do you enforce a rule or something like that without, you know, grabbing and shaking them and screaming, even though you want to grab them and shake them and right. scream. And he knew how to do that without grabbing you and shaking you. One minute I hated the man and then the next minute I loved the man. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the truth. I'm just thinking about some great memories of Larry Hall. Great guy. There was a, one more quick story. Yeah. A certain St. Patrick's Day that I might have celebrated a little too much and went to school and he caught me and kind of locked me up in the class for about three hours until I felt a little better. So didn't I didn't get in trouble, but he took care of me and that's the way he was. Yeah, yeah, he was. And even when I taught with him, he was still that way. You know, he, he made things happen and yeah, behind the scenes for sure. Is he retired now? Yeah, yeah. He, he had retired and then he, and then he passed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was... It was, yeah, it was a rough deal. I, I, he meant so much to me. I invited him to my wedding, the only teacher. I, I would, yeah. he, he wasn't able to make it, and he was blown away. And uh-huh. I, I was able to hunt him down, but he meant that much to me in my life. So yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah, awesome, dude. Well, uh, let's let's keep this going with this awesome guys. And uh, and and we were we've we've talked a little bit about um, Ray Station, and I talked about the kind of guy he was, being my dad's best friend, Ray Dilger, mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, you know, we saw them as much as we, and him and his wife and their kids as much as I saw my aunt and uncles and their kids, my cousins, you know, yeah. and uh, trips and family trips and camping and you name it, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, I learned a lot there and it, and it was this, and we always talk like there should be some sort of TV show, there should be some sort of uh, weekly sitcom. Of just there should that. have been a reality show at that yeah, gas station. That sure. gas station. And and just this cast of characters. I saw that picture, you know, you get in there to to work and I, you know, and I was a pump jockey. I was on the pump and filling gas and washing people's windows and checking oil. And then you go into the office and here's this 60 some year old guy sitting there, grubby Kenny, yep. who was an ex-father-in-law of Ray's, right? He's sitting there in the office and he's like, hey, what time are we going to lunch? And and they had this lunch date and they would go. And the first year I worked there, the first summer, they would take me to lunch all the time because I think they were afraid of leaving me there. <laughs> so they would take me to lunch to the long green yep. and to the golf course, mm-hmm. big gyms. Mm-hmm. And after about a week, I was telling my dad, yeah, they're taking me to lunch. He's like, well, have you bought lunch yet? And I said, uh, 
No. So he made sure I had money in my pocket so that I could buy lunch yeah. for them yeah. that Friday or whatever it was. And, you know, it was, and, those, and those are the little lessons you learned about, you know, not just changing tires and doing oil changes, but all those things, you know, and how, like how to be a good man and be respectful, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh. I mean, once again, I was fortunate to meet another father figure in my life. And I was I got the job at at, at Ray's Chevron. Oh, because of Larry through Cole. Auto Shop at yeah, Polly. So that's right. back when they used to have a job board, people would call and if you needed part time work and stuff. Well, he had called the shop, and the auto shop teacher says, "Hey, I've got this guy. I got a gas station down the you know the street, and they're looking for somebody to close up at night. So and so, you got to go look. It sounds good." And to tell you the character of Ray Dilger, is this? This is the best way I can put it. I remember I, I pulled up there. I was nervous. I got there like an hour early. I sat across the street. I was afraid. I go in there. I meet Ray. Ray does not know my last name, does not have my phone number. This is before, you know, cell phones and everything. Sure. He goes, well, this is what you're going to do. He walked me around this little gas station, showed me where to lock up. You're going to do this. You're going to move these cars in. Here's the safe. I need you to count the cash. Put the, it, this in an envelope. Put it back in the safe. Turn off this and this. What do you think? I go, great. He goes, okay. He hands me the keys to the gas station. <laughs> he hands me the keys to the safe. He goes, okay, see you Monday. And he walked away. Now, this man just gave me, <laughs> yeah, he just gave me the keys to his station, his safe, basically his whole life. And he doesn't even know my last name, a phone number. Right. I could be this guy and leaving town and stuff. But he was the most, he, he looked you in the eyes and he shook your hand. And that's how he did it. And then I would tell people that blew me away. And then the other thing was, here's a gas station on Sheldon and Glen Oaks in Sun Valley. Yep. Industrial, ugly area. Hot. Okay. Hot, Gosh. windy, dusty, ugly Dirty. area. Okay. Smell of trash. Little gas station. At that time, we're talking 120 years ago, gas was $1.65 a gallon. He was a dollar more than anywhere else because he didn't want to sell gas. I remember. He just wanted the Chevron name. Well, this is a little, little gas station that had, I think, seven lifts yeah. and a back shop. And there was about eight or nine mechanics at a time. And we would have a five to six day waiting list to have work done because people would always talk about how they couldn't trust a mechanic. Well, you could trust Ray. Right. And he never advertised. He never had specials. People knew when they came in and saw Ray and Ray said, hey, you need this. OK. And they would throw the keys. He never signed a, an right. estimate or right. anything like that yeah. because his word of mouth was so good. And he was such a good man that he treated everybody like they were a millionaire. That's right. You know, and another example, and I'm sorry to run on and run no, on, but good. I get I talking talk about, about this. was, you know, I, I, I was doing oil changes and tire repairs and cleaning up and gas jockey like you. Yep. And we would get these people that would come in, you, you know, everybody out there, you have to understand where this gas station was, it was kind of a rough area. Oh, yeah. um, I was always nervous about getting held up. Yeah. You know, this is a gas station where you had the cash box out there. You know, yeah. I'm a 19 year old little punk from the San Fernando Valley. I don't know anything. And the whole time I worked there, almost three years, we never got held up. Right. Not once. Now we would get the gas and dash. Right. Those are the people who pull up, you fill it up and they take off and raise like, well, you know, <laughs> they just got $19 in gas. What do you do? You right. know? And then we would have the guys that would come in and go, hey man, can you give me 10 gallons and 10 bucks? I'll be right back. You know? Right. I go, I got to go ask the owner. And I'd go to Ray, go, Ray, man, this guy looks rough. You know, he yeah. looks like, Phew, I don't trust him. And Ray's like, just give him the gas, give yeah. him the cash. And he would do that. And I'd go to Ray and I go, Ray, why do you do that? He goes, well, have you ever thought why we never get held up? <laughs> right. Have you ever thought why nobody throws a rock through my window when we're not here? Yep. He goes, it's okay. I took a $10 loss, but maybe it'll help that guy. Maybe he'll come back one day. 
right. but at least he's not going to come back and throw a rock. And I just remembered how he treated everybody like they were a millionaire, yep. you know, and, and it's always kind of weird. And I don't mean to keep going in different directions, but when people pass, everybody's always like, oh, he was the greatest guy. She was the best. You know, even when right. people do these horrendous crimes, they ask neighbors, I don't know. He was always the great, greatest neighbor, you right, know, this right, and that. Right. When Ray had passed, he was a prince. He was one of those great guys that treated everybody like a millionaire. I did learn how to work on cars. I did mm -hmm. learn how to pump gas. But I learned a lot more on how to treat people yep. because of Ray Dilger. And I don't know how else to give a better compliment than that was, you know. And the other thing, too, was not only was he a good guy, everybody that hung around him, your dad. Yeah. I think it was Pat, the, the Miller Veer. Yeah, Wambacher. Pat. Yeah. These were some of the best people I ever met in my life because I think when you're a generally a genuine and a good guy, you tend to hang around good guys. Right. I think if uh, you can edit this, if you're a scumbag, scumbags seem to hang around scumbags. And everybody at that gas station was just a great guy. Yep. I still have friends. That's why I'm here today. I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for Ray Dilger. Yep. And it wasn't a gas station to me. It was one of the best experiences I ever had in my life. Um, I look back with some of the fondest memories. I drive by and see that station. It's hard not to oh, get choked up. I know. It's, it's what, like a mini repair used yes. car lot, nine things at once. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been different so things. Yeah. The gas station is definitely gone. Yeah, just repair shop, and then the, even the back bays that he built are different. Yeah, different yeah. ownership. I thought. Yeah, and I and I, I still tell people, I go, how does a little gas station in nowhere right. have a six seven day waiting list? Right. Oh, I know. Well, you must be doing something right. And it wasn't just that he was a good mechanic; he just treated everybody like they were a million dollars. You know, a car would come in making its horrible noise. This old lady would bring it in. <laughs> oh, Ray, I think I need a motor. It's okay. Leave it. Okay, Kelly, let's go look at it. We'd lift the hood, and it was a squeaky belt. Right. Brian, tighten that belt. And then the lady would come in. Oh, my gosh, how much is this motor going to cost? He goes, oh, it was a belt. I'll get you when it's the big one. Right. He'd always say <laughs> yeah. that. I'll get you when it's the big one. That's and the there'd truth. be no charge. And she's like, here's a lady thinking it's going to be thousands of dollars. And right. it was nothing because Ray knew she was going to come back. And then she told her friend. Oh, yeah. He could have easily said, oh, you need a head gasket and blah, 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 this and that. But that wasn't Ray. No. And those same people, they drive to the station, and then he would have you or I get in the car. Oh, yeah. I hurry, I'm 16, just for got my fresh driver's license, and drive this nice lady home, mm -hmm. and then you know bring the car back, and we'd fix it up, and then I'd drive it back. You would follow me. Mm -hmm. We'd drop the car off at our house, and then you know you take me back to the station. Yeah. You know, and that's yep. and that's the way it goes. I'd go in there with my old Plymouth, and need something done. And he'd say, Oh, here, take this car. It was a brand new Cadillac that belonged to the dentist there. And, it, yeah. and I say, Ray, I got, I got to go to school. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, so I drive this brand new Cadillac to school, leaving the public parking lot yeah. for the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just like, you know, and that, yeah, super trusting. And, but I love the way you said it was always yes, sir. And no, sir. And no, yep. ma'am. And yeah. And that, and that rubbed off, you know, and our my dad taught me that and, and being around that environment, it was, it was awesome. Yep. You know? In fact, where I work right now, my, my manager, um, she's always like, you got to quit saying, yes, ma'am, I'm not that old. And I'm like, right. ah, darn, it's not like an age thing. It's just how I was brought up. And yeah, yeah, I have respect. people, were you in the military? I said, no, I worked for Ray Dilger. Uh, and, yeah. And I knew Larry Hall. And these guys <laughs> just taught me to install that, you know. And, and I remember kind of, you know, in that little area was kind of a race hub for the stock car racing in the valley. Yep. There was a lot of people, hoopers and stick only, some of these famous places in the, in the stock car world. And Ray had raced for a long time at yep. Saugus Speedway. So I remember I went out there and I watched the races 
And the only thing I could say is that they were famous for very big cups of adult beverages oh, yeah. for a very cheap price. Sure, yeah. And I think I had a couple of those, and I said, <laughs> man, I could do this. This looks easy. You know, you right. drive around in a circle. How hard can this be? And I remember going to work, and I was nervous as heck because I had to borrow money from Ray. I had no money, right. and I, I worked at a gas station. So it was like the end of the day, and I go up to him. I'm like, Ray, I, I got to ask you something, you know. Is there any way I could borrow two thousand dollars? Right. You know, I'm making like one hundred and forty dollars a week or something. Yep. He's like, "What for?" Yeah. I go, oh, "I want to buy a race car." Oh my gosh, you don't <laughs> want to? That's the biggest waste of money. And oh, and so for ten minutes, he's pacing back and forth, telling me how it's dumb and stupid. Dumb. And then he goes, "Okay," and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out twenty one hundred dollar bills. He goes, "Make sure you." Sh you know, lock the doors and he leaves. And it was never like, how are you going to pay me back? What's right. the payment program? Uh, this, this and that. He had to get in his word and tell me how dumb I was, but yeah. he knew how much I wanted to do it. Once again, it wasn't for Ray. I would have never bought my first race car. And he started yeah. me in that path of the racing. And it just showed you how he was, that he was just the old school, shake your hands, look somebody in the eyes yeah. and just be honest, which a lot of times we've gotten away Oh yeah, you know, and you know, it's amazing. We, my mom and dad used to call the bank array. Right? Oh yeah, that left that left that left, left chest no, pocket, no, and yep. he'd always had a wad of cash in there, yep. you know. And yep. I remember my folks, you know, because the banks would close at four o'clock, like on a Thursday, yep. and they needed money for something. We'd go to the station, and my dad say, "Hey Ray, can I get a couple hundred dollars?" Oh sure, Paul, what do you need? Yep. And he'd just reach in that pocket, and he'd just rip off some bills and then you go and there was and it was the same deal it yep. was like are you going to get me this on monday what do you you know it was just that yep. was it yeah and uh i think i was paying them back like 30 dollars a week right. towards the race car because that's yeah. like what i could spare right you know and a couple times i'd miss and he'd go i didn't even remember because i'm sure with your dad he was never yeah. like when are you going to pay me back no it, it just was. wasn't that uh it, no, that wasn't no. his style no never that way well my first car you bought a race car from him I'm working on the on the pumps, mm -hmm. and some guy Daniel Garcia mm -hmm. brought a car in to got work on it, and didn't ever pick it up, and couldn't afford to pick it up. Ray put a lien on it, and he had 500 into it, and that's what I got the car for. That's awesome. Yeah, what yeah. that last a couple of days before I totaled it yep. down the street. Yep. Yeah, yeah. My, my first car was a Pontiac Le Mans that I paid 150 dollars for. Yeah. Had no windows. <laughs> Was a screwdriver. Well, that's your first race car too. And it was my first race car. Yeah. And Enduro I raced that cars. Enduro, and yeah. then, uh, then Bubba did a destruction <laughs> derby with it. And um, I think I got pulled over like six <laughs> times in the valley with it because I never. What was registration and insurance back then? That right. was for rich people. I didn't know. Right. And six times I got pulled over, and all six times I remember the cops like, "Just go home, like right. get it off the street." Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't. You know, I give you a, a twenty dollar ticket, you'll probably be bankrupt for a month or something. Right. But I. Really remember because oh, even yeah. when i got pulled over i was still like yes sir and i'm like man <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't have insurance you know i don't have registration i'm sorry you know it was right. a different time back then oh it was you yeah. know and um <laughs> oh no because you know, that job i remember that first summer i wasn't driving so i rode my little motorcycle mm -hmm. that honda 90 mm -hmm. and i didn't have a license or you know i'd take the back streets around bird junior high yep. and then i'd have to go up sheldon i'll never forget the day i ran out of gas at like sheldon and <laughs> San Fernando Road and had to push the bike to the gas station. Now, when you show up at a gas station with like men who have pretty good wits and sense of humor and you're pushing this bike and you work at a gas station, yeah. and you ran out of gas. I heard about that one. I also heard that after I wrecked that uh, Ford Ranchero, it sat there. I don't know if you remember, but it sat right next to Jerry's demolition derby mm -hmm. car. I have a picture I'll show you mm -hmm. for about a week before they, the auto club settled with us and hauled it away, right? Yeah. And all the people that would come to the island, I'd be pumping their gas like, 
Man, what idiot what idiot <laughs> tore up that car? That nice car. Man, man, did they live? And I was thinking, yeah, I hear I hear they're gonna be okay, you know? And then all these guys at the station are going, Hey Jackson, why don't you go get us lunch today? Oh, that's right, your you car is over here. Oh, I can't drive. Uh, you know, and oh man, but I'll tell you what. You, you learn and you grow up quick, right? And yeah. you, you learn like, hey, I need to have a thick skin around here. Yeah, but the worst thing is some of those regulars uh. that were coming in going, man, Brian, I didn't know you crashed that Ranchero. And I'm like, what is Lee telling people? <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. It's a Ford. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. Well, I was I was trying to deflect. I just kept getting hammered. But they're, uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh my God, we can go in a hundred different directions mm. with this. But the, uh, uh, one of my, I'm going to have a favorite uh, station story, and I know you got a couple. Um, oh, man, I can go 100. One of my favorites was uh, a guy by the name of Tracy Farrell. Mm-hmm. And Tracy looked like the the modern day version of uh, Auto Man from The Simpsons. Yeah. Skinny with this crazy curly hair. I used to say Spicoli. Oh, yeah. Spicoli, but yeah, not Fast far lines. off. I, I remember him getting in his his wheeler, as he called it, mm-hmm. his truck, going to a, uh, an AA meeting with his dog, <laughs> that pit tank. bull tank, and tank. a six-pack of Budweiser yep. to go to his AA meeting, right? But anyway, one day I'm working, and I look out the back, and Tracy's underneath this car. Well, he's got the car on the lift, and he's you know standing under it. And I don't know, an hour or so later, or a little while later, I have to go out there and ask for something in the back, and I go up and junior ray jr and the guys are like hey shh, shh. i'm like what what and he's tracy's sleeping. sleeping so what he's done is taken some welding gloves and duct taped a yep. couple of vice grips on him yep. and he's clamped himself to the bottom of this car so his hands are in the air so it looks like from the main shop that he's in the back and he's working but <laughs> him and junior had been out the night before and tied one on and he, yeah. he was in there sleeping standing up underneath the car you know and and that really summed up the, the people there, but this guy at the same time, you think is a total knucklehead, was one of the brightest guys when it came to automobiles. Uh, yeah. He knew make and model, and and I know you got a great story because he led you to a race car. Yeah. Because he knew, he, he was like a walking... Uh, he was a, a walking mechanic. Yeah. And one of the brightest guys I knew at the time. And one of the, actually one of the nicest guys, you know, he helped me build mm. my first motor that ran about 10 minutes and blew up. <laughs> But he helped me on it and, you know, introduced me to the world of pit bulls because he had tank. I loved that dog. That's this right. is the dog that was like 900 pounds, the meanest looking thing in the world, and was the laziest dog you ever seen in your life. This dog oh. would, would sleep out underneath the canopy where the gas stations were yep. because there would be shade. And he'd be sleeping there and a car would pull up and honk and he wouldn't move. And I'd have to go out and grab this dog and lift it up because it lived at the station. Yep. And then I remember one night a lady came and picked up a car and she took it off and then 10 minutes later called back hysterical screaming and i'm thinking what happened to the car and she's on the side of the freeway she's like i looked in my mirror and there's this monster dog in my back seat staring at me well tank got cold and jumped in the dog in the back of the car and the lady took the car home and all of a sudden oh, this dog's looking at her oh tracy like, forgot his dog what? went home so yeah. i had to call him and then go get the dog and that was just the life of that gas station here he had some of the greatest people in the world and but you know the thing about tracy and like ray dilger jr i just started yeah. to kind of reconnect with him on facebook and yeah. stuff and i haven't mm-hmm. been able to talk to him but i want to talk to him there's so many great stories but even with tracy i was basically still working at the gas station and i want to say his mom had passed away and, right. I, and if it wasn't his mom i apologize mm-hmm. but he got a little wheel a little bit of money mm-hmm. and i remember he went to a few people and wanted to help people that he knew and stuff and i remember he came to my my driveway i was working in my car 
He's like, hey, Brian, what do you need on your race car? You know, and it was always hard for me to like ask for somebody with money because sure. I always was the luckiest guy that had so many good friends that helped me. And it's hard to ask friends for money and stuff. And I was like, you know, Tracy, if I could get a couple right side tires, you know, a couple tires, man, that would be a huge thing. And then he wrote this check for like a thousand dollars, which was like six tires. I mean, that's right. like I could race half a year. That <laughs> right, was like right, right. I was afraid to cash it. I just wanted to look at it. I was so happy. <laughs> And then he said, man, good luck. And he left. And that was just Tracy. Deep down, yeah. he could have been this crazy guy that I think people looked at him and thought he was an idiot because <sighs> outside looks, he had that look. But yeah. deep down, he was one of the coolest, nicest guys. And once For again, sure. I was lucky to meet another character like that yeah. that I learned from, Tracy Farrell. Man, know? he was just a great guy. Always super friendly and whatever you needed. Jerry, Randy, yeah. Blackie. Oh, there was Blackie. a great group of guys there. Oh, man, you talk about a cast. <clears throat> total cast of characters herm you Herms? know oh my gosh this, yeah. is the, this is the only gas station that had a, a gentleman that was probably about 90 years old that had this old econoline van that did body work okay like Blackie. little body work you would pull up and you'd fix a fender now this guy slept eight of the nine hours because he was like 90 he only lived about a mile away and couldn't see worth, worth the you know what. So his body work was horrible. And nobody wanted to tell him how bad it was. But he'd show but up he'd every show day. show up every day because that was his oh. job. And he had this van. And yeah, Kelly, go get me this primer. And he painted. And I'm like, Blackie, that, that car's blue and you're painting red right now. Because I don't think he saw colors anymore. And oh, it was nice tough. And then Ray didn't. Want to tell him he couldn't do it anymore? No, I, but uh, you uh, know it was, it was like something from a TV show where you had that one guy that was well, trying to be a pilot, but you didn't want him in the plane. Yeah. You know? Well, and then just to talk about the station, the security guy that lived there, the 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 old uh, the old guard dog was a guy named Howard, and they Ray named him Hurricane, and he was I guess he was a reformed alcoholic that found the Lord, and he lived in a camper at the back property of the of the station. Mm -hmm. and lived in this camper. And most of the day he was gone because everybody hands. Yeah. Every new hurricane. Cause he was on a bicycle. He had a basket on the front, big old flag, reflective vest. I know he got a hit a couple times yep. and he would just ride around the San Fernando collecting lead off tires and uh, aluminum scrounging. Cans. Yeah. And making his living, but he lived there and this old guy was fearless. He'd come out at night when people were there trying to steal cores and motors or uh, parts and he'd get after him and he had this like poker in a in a squirt bottle mm -hmm. just to scare people off this old guy and hurricane he was just a fixture at the station yeah you know and he knew he knew so much about what oh, i knew your dad when he was back and he'd go on and on these stories you know and he's this white-haired guy and uh just another one you know um so yeah i know we've lost touch with a lot of those guys i know a lot of those guys are gone mm -hmm. i know uh jay was um, saw Jim Knapp uh, a number of years ago. He I was know, living. he just passed. Did he? Yeah, uh, I heard that he had just passed. And uh, Jim was shoot. was Ray's right-hand man. I mean, they were inseparable. Great mm -hmm. guy, showed me a lot. Same thing. You know, these guys demanded respect. Yeah. But they did it in a way that they didn't ask you for it. You just knew and you did it because that's how they treated you. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, going back to the, you know, nowadays nobody would just give some kid the keys to the empire right. without at least knowing something, you know. Right. And I remember driving home, I was so nervous. I, I bought this big hanger and I would hang the keys on it because I didn't want to lose the keys. You right, know, I was right. so nervous and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, your mom and dad were there all the time. Your dad was there probably three or four days out of the week. Oh, yeah. I remember later on, we were talking about this, that, you know, there was a party at your house. Mm -hmm. And 
I was kind of interested in my future wife. <laughs> and this is before cell phones. And we were like 12 year old little kids passing notes right. through the whole party. And then we eventually ended up like on this, you would know better than I would, like a wood fence or some kind yeah, of fence in your neighbors, front yard. Just outside my parents' window. Outside the parents' window. It's like two o'clock and I'm talking to her. I'm trying to, you know, impress her with, <laughs> with things I don't have. And your dad's like, Kelly, leave us, take her somewhere else. I got to sleep. I'd be, okay, okay, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> Kelly, you're keeping us up all night. You know, and then the next day he's like, I see him at the station. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Did it work? Did it work? Is she talking to you? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of those dad, guys. You know, where, you, oh, most you know, definitely. That was your dad. So total characters. The uh, so we we started talking about it. Now get into the subject, and I know we can talk an hour on this, but we'll. Um, so getting to Saugus, uh, I grew up out there. My dad watching Ray, and yep. he was a track champion, as would you. And I grew up just idolizing him and always wanted to race. So the opportunity to do that wasn't really mine going to school and off to college but i had the opportunity to get a car for free a family gave it to me went out there did demolition derby and it was amazing yep you gave me a good tip hey you got to do this your car i didn't do it <laughs> first time i was out there linkage got locked up i got dq'd early so the second time I'm like okay i'm gonna make this thing i'm gonna make this automatic a, a manual and then we lasted quite a while and really totaled this car you know um, but that was it was just great memories and and some of the better memories even of that my time was just helping you on the car and it was because the camaraderie of the yep. people that we had. Yep. You'd show up to the Arlita house and it was literally just a, a double garage, just a regular standard garage on the back of a house in the uh, middle of the San Fernando Valley and just produced a really neat uh, group of guys and a great race car and really competitive race car. I know Brian's going to be, um, you know, super humble, but he could drive the wheels off this car. And when he was winning championships, he didn't just, you know, go around in a circle like these NASCAR. Oh, NASCAR is easy. You drive around and turn left, right? Well, he was doing that, but he was also running the figure eight. So if you know anything about the number eight, there's an intersection in the <laughs> middle of it. Well, these guys used to run through the intersection, and I was freaking so crazy nervous every time Brian. Now, if Brian wasn't in the race, I'd go and I'd be entertained. But if he was in the car, I was like, oh. I've, I've been in those races. Yeah. Straight two hours, not yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Just crazy. And so I remember after one night when Brian won, like flag to flag, I go, after the race, I, and probably at your house, yes. the Carrenti house, after, you know, in our uh, cool down, <laughs> I'd say, hey, how, how do you do it? And he'd say, well, everybody knows if I'm in the lead, I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to slow down and I'm not going to lift. I remember you told me that and I was like, no way. I go, man, the balls of this guy. I go, uh, I go, man, I could not do that, you know? And I thought as a young man, oh, I'll be a racer. I'm like, no, I, I, I just didn't have that. And that was that was fun and that was great. But that camaraderie, camaraderie with Bubba, who was your crew chief, yep. and Chris Lizaldi and my brother and Mikey Cosart and Dave DeFranco. Yep. And I'm probably forgetting some folks. Mitch uh, Bush helped for Mitch. a long time. And your brother, of course, was, yep. I mean... Those guys, and we had so much fun, and, and there'd be eight or ten of us at the track. Um, four or five of those guys really knew how to set the car up and what to do. The rest of us were just kind of around there to wipe things down. I was fixing lettering on the car, <laughs> um, jacking things up, changing tires, right? But we had this crew, and I'll never forget Brian one time. One of his uh, former racers years later goes, 
man, I was going to come over to you after the race if I had a problems with you because you're gang. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? You're, you know, but now looking back at it, you had, you know, six or eight guys that were, you know, somewhat intimidating. And uh, well, it was a good time. I, I, I mean, you know, I started racing through the gas station yeah. at race. And the first thing I realized was, you know, I was always in the sports and things like that. And, you know, if you were a good athlete and you played basketball, you could pretty much play any sport if you were an athlete. And I remember getting in a race car and just getting my rear end beat to heck and getting out of the car like, going, oh, man, I consider myself a pretty, pretty good athlete, but I just got destroyed. You know, right. these guys aren't fooling around. And I kind of paid my dues. And literally, we would come home after a race and celebrate and, you know, oh, yeah. it'd be all this beer and celebrating, celebrating. My neighbor's like, did you win? I'm like, did I win? I didn't even make the main event, <laughs> but I finished the beaming. And to me, that was like a win. I mean, I was like the biggest hazard. I thought times mm. weren't going to let me come back there because I was destroying cars and stuff like that. But the one thing that I always felt like I had was the best crew. And that was because I had almost all friends that we grew up together. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I learned about racing, unfortunately, you could be the best racer in the world, but it is, you know, it's, it's money driven. Yeah. It's a very, very expensive hobby. And yeah. I was able to do pretty well and be successful because I made it up the other route. And that was, I had the best prepared car and the best crew. I mean, I had guys that were paying their own way in, pitching money for the car. If it broke, hey, they'd all pitch in this, this and that. I would show up at the track, because we did a lot of out of state racing too that yeah. helped. And we'd show up at the track and I'd have money for two tires and everybody's pitching in. And I, you know, I was blown away by how much people helped me. Mm -hmm. And to this day, the reason why I was able to win races and championships we're because of friends, you know, Danny Bubba, my best friend ever, yep. best friend in my, my wedding was my crew chief and he never even worked on the car. Yeah. You know, he towed it. He loved, he would, he would take off to the track three hours early because he just wanted to tow around town with his yeah. blazer with the race car. And we'd uh. be like, where's Bubba? You know, and he'd come up with food. He stopped at this place. He met these people over here and we'd unload. I'm like, Danny, where you been, man? He goes, oh, I met these people over here. I'm like, we were supposed to practice an hour ago. And you know, you're driving around town. He had big things. I'm crew chief on the window. But to him, it was his car. Oh yeah. And I always tried to treat everybody that helped me on the car like it was their car. Mm -hmm. Even if if I lied and says, hey, what do you think? Okay, maybe I'll think about that. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to do that. But I wouldn't tell him that, you know. No. And then the flip side was there was a guy named Jaime yeah, that came Jaime. to the races. And he brought some people. And I was like, hey, man, who's that, that little girl over there? Yeah. You know, well, this, this and that. Ended up being my future wife. That's right. That I met at the races. And the funny story is, here I go with Polly. I play football. I'm like, you know, oh, I'm trying to be this macho football guy. She's a cheerleader at Polly. Mm -hmm. We don't know each other. And we end up meeting at the races and end up getting married. Well, at Polly, we kind of hung around, I'll, I'll just say, different crowds. Yeah, that's, probably that's, a good that's, way. Yeah, that's safe to I say. I probably hung around guys that had weird haircuts and listened to, you know, punk rock. Punk rock and mm -hmm. she hung around smart kids. Right. And we right. just were in different crowds. <laughs> and we end up getting married and I owe it to the races and stuff. Right. But some of the best friends I ever met, some of the best memories I ever had. And I think the biggest thing that I could be appreciative of was how much true friends were there. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, um, it meant a lot to me. And I think I've always said that I was lucky because of the people that helped me. Because, you know, you could have a billion dollars, but if you don't have people truly, truly having your back, yeah. it ain't going to matter. I knew when I got in the car, those guys took care of the car, you know, and I tried to give out trophies to people. And I really wanted people to be involved. Oh. I, I, you know, that's why it was never, it was chaos racing. It chaos, was never Brian right. Kelly racing. No, because that's right, chaos. I didn't want it to be, 
about just me. And right. I know that sounds corny. And, and the reason we had chaos, literally we were up one night drinking maybe, and Get Smart came on and chaos were like the dun, bad dun, guys. Dun, dun, dun. I'm yeah. like, oh, there it is. And people chaos. would come and go, yeah, you spell it wrong. I go, well, not on Get Smart. That's how it is, you know. Because everybody had like, you know, Macintosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody had Macintosh racing or, right. or Steve Jones racing right, and this and that. Right. And we had some stupid chaos thing. But to us, it you know, it was something different stuff. And it meant a lot, you know. Yeah, I know it did. I mean, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears late nights and and it never was easy, right? It was always like, no. I remember it was like 1030 on a Friday night and we got to, you know, the car's got to be on the trailer so we can leave at eight or whatever for the yeah. track. And the motor hadn't been run yet. And uh, Brian's like, I just need to make sure that it'll shift. I can get into gear and we can go. And we're like, all right. So you know, we move everything out of the driveway. You know, and it's a race car. There's no headlights on it. No nothing. It's loud. And it's loud. So fire, or we, I think we pushed it out in the street, and then yep. you took off, and then we all ran in the in the backyard, and we could hear you go to the corner, across, rah, rah, and then we knew you were getting close. Because it got louder. <laughs> so we ran out, got everything ready, pulled the car in, pulled all the vans and everything back to the drive, turned all the lights in the house, and then just waited. <laughs> <laughs> For the cops to come, yeah. Here come the police, you know, yeah. and spotlight. But luckily, we, we were, you know, slick enough. We'd done that before not to get caught. Yeah, we know? were smart. I, and I think... I kind of knew that we were doing something good. Um, we were running for a while, and there was a, a, a and I don't want to talk racing for hours, sorry, but uh, no, got to. there was a, a guy out there at the track named Larry Krieger that was yeah. like, he was the, the big star. Beautiful car. Chevelle, yeah. Beautiful girlfriend, wife. Mm -hmm. His whole crew was beautiful. I mean, right. and here we are from San Fernando Valley that we look like. <laughs> a gang because there's like you know ball-headed guys and Bubba's this big Latin dude and you know we you know football uh, guys and we oh, yeah. just you know half didn't have shoes it was like bad news bears <laughs> against these beautiful race car teams and uh, we were battling it out and they would have little articles in the times kind of like they would mm -hmm. have the football back right. then and I remember they were interviewing him and I, I remember being so happy and he goes well, you know, we take it serious because we're not like those other guys that are drinking beer, playing pool all the time from the valley. And I'm like, yeah, they're talking about us. I'm showing everybody as yeah. we're playing pool, drinking yes. beer in my house. This you know, like, us. this is us. We made it in the paper, oh. you know, because. That was a great tribute because these, I remember these other teams were doing so much and they had, I mean, the guy owned a business. They had a shop dedicated for yeah. these cars. And I never forget they'd interview Brian like, oh, where's your shop and where's your house? He said, oh, you know, it's in the middle of San Fernando yeah. Valley, my shop. You know, it's it's behind my house. Well, it was. It was just the garage and the driveway, it was the you know. Garage. And it produced some some great stuff and some really good people, you know. Oliver uh, Aguilar. God, Oliver. I remember yeah. Oliver worked at a transmission shop. And Southland, we, were, yeah. we were working, racing against this guy that had millions and millions of dollars. And he came in the it Oliver was a rip, shop. was it? No, it was, it was <laughs> Tom Fry from oh, Crown Disposal. That's Austin. right. And Crown. he came in and he goes, look, I, I got to beat this this fat dude from the Valley, you know, and I don't care what it costs <laughs> to build this training. I don't care if it's legal or not. I want the best training, whatever it is. Well, he doesn't know he's talking to one of the guys on my pit crew. And he calls him and goes, hey, man, this guy Tom really wants to get you. You know, I don't know what you did to him. I go, I didn't do anything to him. You oh. know? But it was it was some <sighs> of the best guy. times in the world traveling. You know, it, it's a neat experience to go to a race a track, let's say, in Arizona. Yeah. And they don't know who you are. And you win the race, and then there's three police cars saying, hey, we need to escort you to the hotel. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's like something out of the movies. Yes. And this isn't made up. This right. is, you know, yeah. you want to know who your friends are? Go out of state and beat them. <laughs> and then right. they, they, they're not too happy. You uh, know? The, only, the only speeding ticket I ever got in my life, I'm going to tell this uh -huh. real quick story. And then uh, no more racing. I apologize because everybody's turned it off by now. 
So we're racing at a track called Blythe oh, out in the, the border. Arm, armpit of the world. The only thing I can say about Blythe, if anybody's listening from there, I apologize, but I it's very hot. Hot and just nasty. And there's not a lot out there. So I almost went to jail in Blythe. That's another story. Well, for the day. this is this was as close mm-hmm. as I came. Mm-hmm. It was a two-day race. We did Lake Havasu. Oh, we yeah. won the race, and uh-huh. we went to Blythe, and we won the race. We were lucky. And I remember we're driving back home, and then I don't know what freeway, 10 or something. It's, it's like 10. two lanes. The only way you can get out the flat. 10. Yep. And I have this old Chevy box fan that I towed with it. We, we got from a thrift store. Actually, I got it from Dave DeFranco. That's right. And I think I think he paid 300 bucks for it. And it looked like it was 300 bucks. Yep. And we're towing this open trailer. And it goes like 60 miles an hour. Right. I didn't have the new Downhill. dual stuff. Down. Yeah. And I'm going and I'm driving. And I see the CHP going the other way. And he turns and he's giving me the look of death. And I'm like, man, what? Yeah, what and I'm I looking do? down. I'm going, I'm doing 60. Everybody's past me. Five minutes later, he's behind, got the lights. He's doing like a felony pullover. <laughs> he's got his gun drawn. I'm laying in the street. And I'm like, what did, what did I do? It's me yeah. and this guy, Phil. Phil and yeah. we're laying in the street. And he starts rambling on. And then all of a sudden he goes, well, Mr. Kelly, I guess you'd like to drive fast, right? And I'm thinking, you know, there's a race car, a trailer. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of obvious. I'm, I'm like, no, sir. I, I thought I was doing 60. He goes, well, I got you doing 110. And I'm like, uh, you know, I want to tell this, this, I, yeah, I wish this thing would do 110, you know, you know, but it won't do it. I mean, the literally the speedometer goes to 80, right? You right. know, so yeah, I and I go, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, sir, I don't remember doing that. And he's talking, and he's going, yeah, yeah, I see you like to, you know, race, blah blah blah. He goes, I was at the races last night. Oh, I'm like, oh, okay. And then he goes, yeah, my brother drives that four car. Oh. And right then I'm like, oh no, oh no. So the end of the story is basically I'm leading this race and this guy in the four car is like 20 laps down. He's slow <laughs> as heck and he won't move. And for people that don't know racing, the flagger's trying to get him to move out of the way because I'm yes. leading the race, right? And this right. is a little dinky track. Well, you know, I'm going to give the guy courtesy for a while, but right. I came here to win the race. So about four laps into it, I basically dump him in the infield. Yeah. You know, I got to uh, get out of the way. I got to try to win this race. I spit him out. I don't hurt his car enough. What ends up the CHP guy, this is his brother. So now I know that when he was driving the other way, he saw me. It was like Christmas, Hanukkah, every holiday in the world. He was so happy. He ended up writing me nine tickets that day. Speeding, no chains, wrong safety lights. You you know what's bad when an officer is writing a ticket and flips it over because there's not enough room. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Out of all the dumb things I did growing up and driving cars that didn't have headlights and loud and this and that, that's the only time I got a speeding ticket. And it blows me away. And I'm laying on the ground thinking, like, did I kill somebody? What did I do? And true story, Blythe. (laughs) It'll Blythe. Yeah. We'll tell my story there. I I was uh, at gunpoint there, too, on the side of the freeway. It might have been the same officer. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Just a dumb buddy that had a, a car that was reported stolen that mm. didn't clear somehow through DMV correctly. And uh, that's another story for another day, but uh, yeah, good times. So uh, one guy I'm just going to talk about and because you brought it up and I, I just, I don't think we can not talk about him is Oliver and Oliver Aguilar who worked at the transmission shop and mm-hmm. raced out there as well. And we both helped him with his car out mm-hmm. there. He uh, years later, um, I got a tent trailer and I needed a hitch on my truck and I called him and said, hey, can I, yeah, come on by. We'll put him in the lift. So him and I put the the hitch on. I don't know if he did something to the transmission on my truck. But anyway, he helped me out. And then as I'm getting ready to leave, we're camping that day. And I'd been to a supply place in the valley to buy a plug for the lights, the trailer lights. Right. And they didn't have the right plug. So his nephew, who was working there at the time, mm-hmm. 
tells him, hey, go out to your truck and take that plug off, because he had a Chevy truck similar to mine, and put it on Lee's truck. And I said, no, Oliver, I can't. He goes, no, it was already done. So right. there's his nephew taking the switch off his truck, putting it on my truck. So a week or two later, when we're done camping, I'm back. I make a trip to Oliver's shop, and he's not there. You know, and um, and I, I don't know what happened to Oliver. I've heard different things, but it was, I mean, you just talk about a great guy yep. that would, like Ray, would just do anything for you, and yep. that was Oliver, you know? And, and I, I'm going to try to take this as an advantage to use this podcast. Mm. Oliver, if you hear this, I would love to talk to you. Most I don't definitely. know where you are. I miss you. I love you. I hope everything is well. Yep. Um, rumors rumors are, are terrible things. Yeah. And we've heard things, but no matter what, I want you to know that there are a lot of people that care about you. Yeah, Ollie, we definitely love you. So, wanna, sorry, I don't want to bring things down. No, but, but we that's like, how much Oliver means to me. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's just, I mean, and that was the last favor he did, and I yeah. couldn't repay it because I went back and the shop was closed up, and I, you know, tried to find out what was going on. I called him for. Months, well, it's you know? it's funny when you talk about that because I basically met Oliver and Aaron mm -hmm. through the racing, and then Aaron's mom Glenda, right, Glenda, who ended up being Mama Chaos. Mama Chaos. So once again, I talk about the racing chaos. <laughs> when Aaron and Oliver quit racing, she just says, "Hey, do you mind if I come around and hang out?" And everybody at the track thought that that was my mother, right? Because right. she fed us, she'd clean the driving suit, uh, get the stats, take pictures, send out the bios, get the sponsors. Yeah, she was like super mom, you know, and she just loved the racing. And what I remember the incident that she really kind of fell in love with us was Oliver was racing and he made his first trophy dash. And the trophy dash is like a, a four lap exhibition race, the right. four fastest guys. And it's a way to show off. You qualify, you drown. And Oliver's nervous. And then I find out Glenda comes up and goes, you know, he's nervous because he's, you know, he's starting in front of you oh. and he's scared that you're going to like run him over and pass him. So me trying to be kind of cool, I go up to him and go like, Hey Oliver, don't worry. Flip up your mirror and uh -huh. pretend I'm not there, you know, yeah. flip up your rear. And the whole time I'm like, I'm just going to pass you anyway. <laughs> so who cares? I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. You know, we get out in the race, he wins it. I finished second and I'm all mad, you know, and Glenn's like, I can't believe you helped. You know, I'm like, well, I really didn't think he was going to win, but I'm not going to help him anymore. He's too fast, but that's just a joke. That's how I was. I would help. But it, once again, that's how I met Glenda. Right. She helped us forever. And it's funny. You know, I, I coach volleyball, and I've got a, a lot of young ladies, and sometimes they're talking about people at school. And I'll say, you know, be careful about saying, oh, this person's a jerk, and I don't mm -hmm. like this person, because I explain my wife's story, how right. here we are, we don't talk, and we end up getting married. And we've been married now for like four or five years, maybe more. <laughs> but it's funny how things change. Uh, no, my grandma, old wise Irish grandma used to say, hey, don't talk bad about people because you don't know who you're talking to. Yeah. And and it couldn't be truer. You talk mm -hmm. about Glenda when I lived in Arlita. She was my neighbor. Her yeah. and Steve, her yep. husband, right? Yep. yep. Where and, and Steve had worked with my dad at Rollins Mechanical yep. for years. So you think like, oh, I don't know these people. But yeah, they knew me and they knew my dad before. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's just one of those weird deals. But that... That's the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, and I was thinking the exact same thing. At that time, everybody kind of knew each other in the San Fernando Valley. Most definitely. Um, when I got married, my engagement party, Danny Bubba, my best friend, was related yeah. to one side of my wife's family. And my mm -hmm. oldest brother's wife was related to another side of the family. And I'd pull Danny over and go, Danny, you know more people than I do, and I'm the one getting married. But everybody <laughs> just knew kind of everybody in the valley, and it was close-knit. Uh, and, and I wouldn't change oh, a thing God, in the world. Yeah, no, you me know. either. And uh, you just mentioned Danny and Bubba. We always call Danny Bubba. And I, I took my daughter Taylor on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, to Cartland. Okay. Go Kart World. Yeah. And it was as close to kind of Pepe as you can get. It's still old <laughs> gas, combustion engines that yep. smell, and the cars are kind of beat up. 
and she had the greatest time and she's a natural too behind the wheel she just went and but I got in this car and they're made for kind of kids and smaller people and I got in this car and it was so uncomfortable and it took me back and <laughs> we had Pepe's go-karts near us in the valley and one night we were there and we routinely got thrown out of Pepe's yeah we'd get there and we'd go to Tommy's we might have had a beer or two we'd get on the track and it was just like a demolition derby it was wide open well, Bubba wasn't always the fastest because he was the biggest guy. And he, I had, a, he had a little weight, weight <laughs> yeah, penalty on yeah. that car. He swallowed a lot of aggressions and a lot of pizzas, right? So <laughs> Bubs is it jammed in this thing, and we get him in the car, and he keeps complaining. Oh, my legs, my legs. And, of course, we're like, shut up, Bubba. Just drive, you big wuss. Just drive. But my legs were like, shut up, Bubba. So at every chance you could get, you just rubbed into him. You ran into him from behind. You tried to spit him out. Well, we get we get done, and we probably had got thrown out at that point, and now he needs help getting out of the car. So I'm laughing so hard, I'm crying, and he's he's mad at this point, and I'm trying to help him and get him out of the car. Well, once we get him free and get him out, that the fiberglass dashboard that was in the car <laughs> had been digging into his shins the whole time, and and not just digging into his shins, I mean rubbed it down where he was bleeding from both legs. <laughs> <laughs> and and you didn't feel bad for him. Everybody just gave him a hard time and just laughed at him even more. But that was the kind of the camaraderie, right? And this guy was the biggest character, but the biggest teddy bear, um, the toughest guy you wanted around. And and just that that crazy combination. And and we had I know we got great stories with Bubs and we could have an just an episode of uh, Bubba Talk, yeah. you know. Yep. And I'm hoping Steve's listening and his family because, um, you know, just a, a great tribute to a great guy. And we lost him at a young age as well. Um, I don't even know how many years ago now, Brian. I know time goes so fast. Yep. Um, but you talk about just a character of the Sanford Valley knew everybody. Um, if you needed something, uh, Bubba was a guy. You needed help with something. He ran a bunch of shops, and I had work done with my cars and trucks at his shops. And, you know, he, like Ray, had that same kind of disposition where he was friendly to everybody, you know, loved everybody. You didn't want to cross him. But at the same time, he was just this super gregarious guy that was super supportive of us and I know of you um, in racing and everything else. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, I'm sitting here now trying not to, you know, I know, tear up as, you know, because, you know, Danny, Bubba, it's hard for me. I, I think I've kind of... I look at that situation a little tough because I still think, you know, I'm going to go down to Northridge and see him at the shop or call, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody, it's a cliche, you know, you wish you could just get five minutes to talk to somebody yep. and that would be Danny. You know, I think if I had a choice between talking to my dad, who, like I said, I lost when I was 12 and I don't want to bring this, this down. Sure. I, I no. do not want to bring this down. Or if I could get five minutes for Danny, it would be Danny in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, um, once again, we kind of fought over, Alicia, my wife, he had a little crush and I had a little crush, you know, and, um, you know, everything at that time was through Bubba, yep. every story, everything we did. Um, I, uh, in high school, yeah. we had this thing called campus life. It was a, a Christian <sighs> Bible study class. And how'd you do get, how'd well, you get to work I, there? I, was I, that? I'm not going to lie. I, I went there because there was a lot of girls. There, okay. okay? Yeah, there like, was a lot how'd of girls. you two get there? So <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> we would go to these meetings and stuff and they, they would have like once a month camping trips. And this was a way for me to get out of the Valley. So I don't know how much of this I could really say, or, or but I'll just, so yeah, give us we, a couple. Yeah. We go up to the mountains on this camping trip 
and the counselor kind of knew us and he wouldn't put us in the same room. So I remember I unpacked my luggage and he says, Hey Brian, you got to give me a second with your luggage. And I'm like, what? You know? So he opens up my luggage and I think I had about 18 of the little airplane. Oh, uh, um, bottles of yeah. Coca-Cola and seven up. Sure. sure so he sure, goes, sure. he confiscated that. Cause I, uh-huh. I think I was like 17 or 18, you know, and Danny had some stuff like that. And I remember we were in the mountains and it's the snow and these are, you know, we're from the Valley. We don't, I don't know snow. I've never been skiing. I didn't sure. do that. I skateboarded, you know, I didn't know. So they had this tuba run and it's like up this mountain and it's not like what on TV, like a little, this thing was like, like an Olympic bobsled thing or something. It banks and this and that. And we're up there and we, we are competitive with everything we do. Oh yeah. So I'm like, Danny, dude, we got to go down this thing faster than anybody else. I got to tell you what we'll do is you lay on the tube. I'll lay on your back. And with both of us, that's like 600 pounds, man. Where are you going to fly down this, this, this run, you know? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't want to get hurt. I go, no, you'll be fine. You're, you're closest to the tube. I'm the one that's going to bail if we crash. He goes, oh, okay, you know, I trust you. So he's laying on this thing, and his stomach is like in between the tube. I get on him like a horse, you know, and they push us, and we're flying. And I'm hearing, ah, 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 like every two seconds. I'm like, quit crying. You know, look, we're flying. Ah. We're going fast. We get down to the bottom of the run. I'm like, dude, that was great. Let's do it again. He's crying. He lifts up his shirt and it is just bloody red because his stomach was dragging all the way down the run. And now I knew why he was crying, but I wouldn't stop because I thought we were flying. And, you know, that was Bubba. And that same night, we're there. And there was one of our friends, Tracy Stroh. Tracy was a great musician. And this is when Casio just came out with the little keyboards, right? There's a little plastic keyboard. And it had this function like play. And it had this like two-tone song. And it wouldn't play. And Danny would walk around the hallway with this thing, pretending like he's playing this because he couldn't play nothing. And all these people were like, God, look how good he is. He's putting it between his legs, behind his back. Well, it was like on auto cycle. It just kept playing it over and over. He's doing it with his elbow, looking at somebody like, hey, what's up? You know, and people, this whole camp's like, man, that guy's incredible on the keyboard you know we didn't know how to play that was just danny he had a way to engage oh. everybody and that's that i'll keep one last story that yeah. same weekend it was like the movies you know how you had those those little lakes with the diving board out in the middle oh, yeah. of the lake yeah you a know, little you, platform you, go out to go out there that weekend it was like a biker rally <laughs> this is typical of my luck right so imagine this lake and there's like 500 people wearing leather and pants sunbathing with leather jackets on and drinking beer at like nine in the morning. Oh yeah, right? perfect. Yeah, it's all bikers. And then you got this youth camp. And there's this youth camp. <laughs> so it takes Danny about ten minutes to swim out this thing. <laughs> Danny wasn't really good with heights, so he gets on that. Me and all my friends are like go, Bubba, Bubba. And he gets on, and this this whole rafting is like leaning over because Bubba's a big boy. You know, he's close. To, he's pushing four, right? He's at the end of this thing, and his knees are shaking. He doesn't want to jump. And I'm thinking it's going to teeter the raft over in the water because he doesn't want to go. And he told me afterwards, he goes, I was too scared to turn around and go back. So I knew. Next thing I know, there's like 150 bikers banging their beer going, go, Bubba, go. He just had this way of all of a sudden, now all these bikers were his friends. He jumps in the water. He gets out and they're offering him, you know, drinks. We can't, we're like 16. No, we can't do it, you know. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how'd you get all that? You know, later that day, we go water skiing for the first time. Right. And I can't wait. I've never water skied. So the guy's like, Hey, why don't you go first? So 
he can't pull Bubba out of the water. This boat is like barely, and he gets up, and it's like the movies. That rope breaks, it snaps, and it's like an S. It goes, and it goes, bap, and hits the driver in the back of the head. He goes, that's it. None of you guys are riding now. And I'm like, dang it, Bubba, you keep ruining it for all of us. You know, he's like, hey, I didn't know the rope would break. You know, that was Bubba. You know, so I could go on. Oh, no, I got tears in my eyes. I'm just ever. thinking about all these stories. But at the same time, man, if my house was on fire or I needed something, he'd be the first guy there. Yep. If you yep. had to go to war and there's 20 guys on that other side of the alley and you knew you probably weren't going to make it, he'd be the first one going, well, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. And that's the best compliment I can get to somebody when you say, does he have your back? And Most he was definitely. that way with everybody, no matter what, who you were. He just loved you. He was the, the, the biggest heart. The biggest man I knew, the guy I missed the most. Yep. Um, you know, I don't want to bring you down. No, no, but it's, it's all just, positive. Yeah, good memories, good memories, great memories, just, great memories at was, your brother's wedding. At the, you know? at the wedding, at, oh at uh, uh, one good of those times. articles at racing. I remember yes. they're saying, you know, there was a couple times where I had some incidents with some guys on the track, and maybe it was rough driving. And then the paper says, well, you know, Kelly gets gets away with it because he gets out of the car and he hands his helmet to his 400 pound crew chief <laughs> that's right yeah. and i said yeah it makes things easier you want to you know yell at me go talk to bubba you know nobody would yell at me no he had a he had a neat calming effect on people like that you know it, it could be the nicest guy but also uh, a guy you didn't want to tangle with you no know? no and and uh, he was a great friend to us and many and we miss bubs yeah the uh so one one question i like to ask my guests and um it's it's I think it's a good one. And Andrew and I always laugh at people's responses, but you know you live in the San Fernando Valley when? So you know you and and for me moving back after being at San Diego State and coming back, I lived in Arlita and I remember my roommates, I had lived with these sisters, Maria and Rosina, were just awesome. They were elementary teachers and we lived together, old friends of mine. And my 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 story is they said hey uh, Domino's won't deliver to us because we're in what they call the red zone, yeah. right? We were like redlined. They Domino's wouldn't come into our neighborhood to deliver, which I didn't understand because yeah, you know, our lead in those days were pretty nice, but Pizza Loca would, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we always laugh that yep. <laughs> you know the Pizza Loca would deliver, but Domino's would. Yep. So that's one of my stories. So uh, you know you live in the San Fernando Valley when? Oh man, that's. That that's tough. That's tough. Um, oh gosh. Uh, I think I, I think you know you live in the San Fernando Valley when, if you move a half mile in any direction, it's a huge step up. Right. Right. But yeah. I think people that live in the San Fernando Valley <laughs> are true. That that stay there are true. Like I said, yeah. I don't want to live anywhere else. I right. love the San Fernando Valley. You yeah. know, there's areas that are a little tougher than other and rough, mm-hmm. but there's good people. Yep. Everywhere. A lot of different cultures, a lot of different languages and stuff like that. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, it, it, it's a great place to live. You know, it's just, I think like everywhere, it's getting tough in certain areas and it's tough in times. But yep. um, I, I, I think it's, it's definitely a little, little hub. And I think people that know it, I mean, there's, it, you know, you have Pacoima, Silmar, San Fernando, some, you know, some gang areas. It's tough yep. in some areas, but at the same time, I raise my kids there. I'm not nervous for my kids. Right. Um, good friends. It's a good area. I think a lot of it is blown up hype. It's like saying if you live in Crenshaw, you're going to get shot. Or if right. you live in Compton, you can't get an education. Sure. I think there's some things that are blown so far out of proportion that it's not mm-hmm. true reality. Right. I think that, yeah, there is tough areas in San Fernando Valley, but there's some great areas and there's some great people. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot That's of it definitely. is what you make of it. 
That's right. Yeah, what you put into is what you get yeah, out of it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, we were fortunate to have some of those rough friends in those rough areas, but um, just get nothing support and love from them. You know? Yeah, and we all, you know, overall, mm -hmm. we all made it good. Everybody's yep. doing good. Um, yep. You know, and I, I think a lot of that had that we had a great group of friends that covered each other and people that to this day I think I could call on and count on. And, and I, you know, I appreciate that. I, I, I don't take it for granted. Because if I were to talk to somebody that was younger, I'd say, man, don't ever take friendship for granted. Yeah, because that's the message there. that person you might be working for someday, or you might be married to that person someday, or yeah, you know, that's that's a great message from today, right? Is that you know you, you treat people with respect because you don't know, like my grandma said, who you're talking to, right? And when you're going to come into yeah. contact with them again, and look at you know uh, all the people that we know and we've been in contact with, and you know are still in touch with. So yeah, we've been blessed. Thank you